it's something I've been thinking about lately. You know, like whatever happened to all the hipsters? I think hipsterism is finished at this point. Um, it was such a it was such a vague thing culturally, uh, hard to describe. You know, what 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 is a hipster? I mean, I guess a hipster could be considered most generally someone that's just sort of following trends and trying to fit in, um, trying to be cool, young, and cool, and with it. Uh, but this was a more specific kind of, um, if I had to guess, I think sort of the, the millennial mindset of being amused by things from the past. And it's not just millennial. I know that me being Gen X, I do it too. You know, if you listen to the other side of this show, you'll hear a lot of old uh, commercials, for example, or old audio recordings that uh, are interesting because, right, of how different things were in the past and how maybe an old commercial may sound outdated or sound, um, you know, funny in some ways and to to today's sensibilities, uh, you know, but it's sort of, if it's a, a, a sincere effort, that is, if someone is sincerely doing something that at the time was completely normal, but it later, as time goes on, as culture changes, it sort of seems silly, right? To sort of focus on and obsess on that is sort of part of hipsterdom. So um, I don't know. I mean, some examples of it, but I think I think it's finished now. I don't think there really are any hipsters anymore because, like, uh, it like the, it's young people don't have I guess don't have that sensibility anymore I guess older hipsters are still going but like part of it was like a guys would have like a big beard and mustache because in the past people used to have guys used to have these big beard and mustache and then they're sort of making fun of it but then they're sort of embracing it at the same time and certain kinds of glasses like thick glasses from the past that seemed they looked kind of silly but then they embraced it I don't know if I, part of the problem is it's very hard to even sort of define what it is, but, um, but you know, like when they make fun of hipsters, it's like they have, I don't know, they're wearing like a handkerchief or something, a kerchief. What the hell is that anyway? I never ran I, I never had a moment in my life where I'm like, I, I should wear a handkerchief around my neck. What am, what am I, a, a, a locomotive engineer from the 1920s? Get out of here. Do, are, are, is that a thing? Like you wear like a handkerchief around your neck? Is that sort of like a precursor to like wearing a necktie? You know what I'm saying? But also the idea that they're into certain bands before they get popular. Oh, I was into them before they got popular. This kind of this kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, apparently it's kind of over with now. Like there are no more hipsters. It's like <laughs> a thing of the past. <coughs> kind of weird because I was thinking about that well in relation to spaceships you know um, there was this town up on uh, well there's this area called Brooklyn in New York City where a lot of the hipsters lived and uh, at, at the time right it was all these neighborhoods in Brooklyn which is a borough of New York City one of the outer boroughs it actually is on the island known as Long Island uh and in uh, in Brooklyn, I think there were a lot of these areas that were <coughs> um, very cheap to live in the past, right? And so a lot of legitimate creative types that didn't have any money, writers and artists and, and musicians, would move to these neighborhoods in Brooklyn, for example. There were other areas as well where this happened, 
And while it was a kind of a rundown, perhaps even dangerous and uh, very cheap to live there, all the artists and creative people kind of formed a uh, a little culture, a little subculture that was, uh, you know, <coughs> everything's kind of beat up. It's kind of rundown area, but the people are cool. They're creative and they're they're innovating and they're doing all this fun stuff. And at some point. Um, this grabs the attention of people. I don't know if this is the universal hipster concept, but it's a uh, that um, children of the rich that that don't have to work and they have a trust fund. And again, I know this is all very cliched, but I do think there's some truth to this because we've had run-ins. I've had run-ins, and my brother and his wife and everyone has had run-ins with these these uh, trust fund kids that. They don't have to work because their parents are ultra wealthy. And, you know, you might think that sounds great. It sounds great to do that. But the reason why it sounds great is because most people have to work and they have, right, to do stuff. You've already sort of established a routine in your life and you like, wow, it would be great to be able to take a break. Because you have all this time of doing stuff maybe you don't want to be doing built up that some time off or some extra money would actually contrast with your your life. But apparently if you don't have <coughs> any reference point, like even though you don't have to worry about money, life might be pretty intolerable, so you need to sort of figure out what you're going to do with your life. So a lot of these people, I think, gravitated towards these areas where um, they had a great reputation for the arts because, you know, the arts is an area where may- maybe you can become an artist, a DJ, a musician, an actual painter or whatever. And, uh, you know, especially with the visual arts, painting, for example, and all that stuff, it, it kind of stopped being about having any talent. It's just kind of like who you know and, right? We I don't even want to get into the whole modern art concept now, but I, I do think that someone that may have no talent might see the kind of art that's in museums, which is, utter garbage, blank paintings and scribbles and things that anyone could do and think, wow, I could become an artist even though I have no talent. Like, those kind of things. And then becoming a DJ where you're just playing other people's music and there's lots of things like that. So anyway, they start moving into these areas and I think that's where the hipsters really come in where they're sort of... um, It's almost sort of like the pod people from... What was that movie with the pod people with uh, Kiefer Sutherland? No, Donald Sutherland, the remake. <sighs> with these these pod people. But anyway, what happens is um, the rich kids move in, and then they start jacking up all the prices, and then the re- actual artists have to move out. And that's happened so much in, in Brooklyn and in so many other places. Um, but I think that's sort of the hip- hipsterism is where you're kind of It's almost sort of like a fake version of if you could sort of track such things like like that area, kind of a bad area where a lot of artists and musicians move in because they can't afford to live anywhere else. And then they sort of make the area cool. Right. And then they would have their own quirky subculture because of their sensibilities. That would be sort of legit, the, the legitimate phenomenon. But then as. The pod people move in. They sort of mimic that phenomenon, and it becomes something sort of like a fake version of that. So it's almost sort of like you need to have these 
subcultural traits in order to feel that you're succeeding at at your uh, right moving to this area to try to make something of your life. Does that make any sense? This is leading somewhere because um, we had friends that were kind of hipsterish, I guess, in a way, uh, that were living in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, which was a a very working class area. Very, it was a Polish area, a uh, very working class, and then it started getting gentrified, so to speak. And it may not have been the same thing, but it's basically people discover the area because it's uh, sort of a fresh area that hasn't been sort of ruined previously by these kind of people. And uh, their rent quadrupled in one year, and they had to move out. The whole area was getting overrun with people who had too much money. So they moved up to the the Hudson Valley, uh, a town called Catskill, I believe. And I think it was crossed from Kingston, maybe. Um, and so these are the new areas where it's kind of cheaper to live. It's essentially right up the Hudson River, a couple hours drive up the Hudson River from New York City. These towns and this town, they were it was in the early stages of of becoming cool or hip or whatever you want to say. And no one knew if it was really going to switch over to that or if it was going to remain kind of a you know, kind of a depressed small town, right? I'm not sure exactly. This That was many years ago that our friends moved up there. We went up there a few times. Um, so I don't know. Like, you have to find a new area if you're if you're not super wealthy. I know that happened down in, uh, in Austin, Texas as well in a big way. Um, that was more, I think, because it, it had a great reputation in... In Texas, where, you know, you think of Texas, you think of very conservative stuff. But Austin always was sort of a, you know, a blue zone in a red state. And uh, was uh, it had it was a college town and it was cheap to live. And there were a lot of weirdos and artists and all sorts of fun stuff there. And then all the startups and corporations started moving in and completely, like, altered the place. And now I don't even know where those people are moving, like Oklahoma or something. I don't know. Where do you go from there? Um this endless phenomenon, but the reason I was thinking about this was the spaceship thing. Um, Ahso- you know, Ahsoka, the uh, Star Wars show, it had its final episode of the first season a bit under underwhelming, I suppose. Um, it was alright, though. I mean, uh, it was better than other ones, but I sort of felt like this is eight episodes, so I kind of felt like it really hit kind of a stride about around the midpoint, episode four, episode five, and um, yeah, it's not bad. It just wasn't, you know, it 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 didn't end particularly well. It it was a bit of a letdown in a way, but it was all right. Anyway, um, because what I was thinking is that so much of the show you're, these characters have their own spaceships and smaller spaceships not like a giant Star Destroyer or something um, you know think like the Millennium Falcon for example in the original Star Wars movie um, the characters you know because it takes place in, you have to go to different planets and stuff so you need a spaceship that can do warp drive and stuff or enter hyperspace you know as they call it in Star Wars so usually a lot of action takes place right like in the cockpit area of the uh, of the spaceship and you're like uh Right there's a couple chairs, and you have sort of the windows that look out into space, and you have the controls and stuff. And I was thinking about this, like, 
um, why not have like the interior of a spaceship as a room in your house? And I know there's people that do have that, but it would seem to be kind of like a, I don't know, something that people would want, you know, of, to have a spaceship in your house. And then I know in the past it would have been harder to do it, but you could certainly um, now create, you know, having a video screen outside sort of the windows of the spaceship. Um, and you could spend you could spend a lot of time in your spaceship, in your house, going to different planets and stuff. And I know there's a lot of video games that do that, but like having and I, I know to some extent like people have uh, flight simulator they like the flight simulator games they they have their own controls and almost a little bit like a cockpit but I'm just wondering like just to have because like a Star Wars style spaceship control like cockpit area in your house just seems to make a lot of sense but I know that, like, I know in the, a few months ago I was talking about, like, why not have dioramas in your house? Like, I guess when it comes to your house, space is at a premium. And anything quirky is kind of, like, super, super expensive and takes away space from other things. And there's just some kind of dynamic that kind of puts the kibosh on, uh, like, creating cool stuff in your house because it's just too expensive, right? That's what I'm trying to say. But I think that would be really cool. The reason I was thinking of this town of Catskill is uh, there's a game store there. And I remember the name of the game store only because it was Kerwin or Kerwin. I guess K-I-R-W-A-N and Kerwin. Because there's this guy, Kerwin, an artist um, uh, who was creating his own deck of tarot cards. And there's a book called The New Tarot from... I think published in like 1987 or something that had images from this guy's deck, the, the, the Kerwin cards or the Kerwin deck, um, that it was his work in progress. I always wanted to get a copy, but it never happened. I don't know what happened to this guy, but he, uh, there was one article online where he was like, um, about ready to produce the cards on his own, like a deck of like divination cards, like tarot cards. And uh, he 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 realized, I suppose this was in there, somewhere around 2000, 2010, or in that range of time, that uh, getting it printed in the United States was really not an option. You have to go to China to get this stuff printed now because, right, um, I guess there's no printers in the U.S. that that can do that kind of thing. And he was enraged because he was kind of in that kind of mindset. It should be made in the USA and, you know, all those, that whole thing. Which, of course, is something you might say is, you know, the fact that this country, the United States, has sort of abandoned its manufacturing capacities is is alarming. Um, But this guy basically said, if I can't, if I can't get it printed in the U.S., I'm not doing it at all. Something, something to that in that line. That, that uh, didn't I? I think I bought a book with that guy's artwork too, Kerwin. But um, yeah, I mean, he had a website that had some of the cards on there, um, but it never got made. I would have loved to have. You know, it was one of those things I was thinking about. I still have the book, the new tarot that had his little cards in there. It was like it wasn't like tarot cards; they're divination cards, and they had two sides. Let's see if there's anything else 
online about it. Yeah, I think at this point, this, these are not going to see the light of day. And yeah, let's see, Kerwin Deck. Yeah, but I bought a book with his artwork, hoping there'd be more cards in it. I don't think there were. Kerwin Deck. Yeah, this is the link that comes up. It's it's a post from like years ago. Uh, does anyone have any info on this deck? Better yet, does anyone own this deck? What do you think of it? Uh, as noted on the page at the link provided by Rihanna, the Kerwin cards were included in Rachel Pollock's now out of print book, The New Tarot. At the time, Miss, Miss Pollock's book was originally published. Mr. Kerwin's deck was not complete. However, the last report I read on Kerwin Deck said it had been completed. Still seeking a publisher. It doesn't say when these posts are. These posts are probably from like 2006 or something. Um, yeah, there's not not much, not much. Uh, Kerwin cards, I guess. But there's a link here, and I think, as I recall, I think this link is dead now. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think that link is dead. Anyway, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh <laughs> The guy was angry. He wanted to make it made into the USA. <laughs> Sorry, it's not it's not a uh, mid-century anymore. That ship has sailed, Kerwin. It's sad, but true. Um anyway, that was called Kerwin's Game Store, right? And uh, they were playing this game in there where you, they, you set up a ton of computers. In, you're, like, you're like on the, uh, the bridge of like the, the Starship Enterprise in Star Trek, right? One person's a captain. Someone's a navigator. Someone's the weapons. Someone's communications. And it's like a game where everyone is in this spaceship together. And it, I guess you could have a big screen... I guess they they were looking at a big screen, which was kind of like meant to be the main the main uh, viewport or something. What was the name of that game? It was called like was it called like Medusa or something? Medusa maybe Star Trek Bridge Simulator. I mean, it's not Star Trek branded, um, but. Uh, uh, ta- What's it called? Medusa? Why am I thinking Medusa? It's some sort of word like that. Hold on. Let me pause. I'll find this. Nope. It's called Artemis. See, I got, it was a, it's, Artemis is a goddess and from one of those mythologies, Greek or Roman, and uh, so is Medusa. So I, uh, yeah. Artemis Spaceship Bridge Simulator. A multiplayer cooperative spaceship simulation game. Originally came out in 2010. Oh, it looks like it's still going. They well, they had a stable release in uh, December of 2021. So there's a captain, helm, weapons, engineering, science, communications, fighter. Interesting. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see the website: ArtemisSpaceshipBridge.com. Is it still going? Turn your living room into a spaceship bridge. See, that's what I was talking about. Take on the job of captain, helm, science, communication, engineering, and weapon control. 
operate the ship together and defend the cosmos from evil aliens. Oh, there's a new version called Artemis Cosmos. Uh-huh. I wonder what... Uh, hmm. The old version is, is 40 bucks. Um, I wonder if you can play it by yourself. Use AI for all the other stuff? Let's see. But there's another version coming, I guess. Okay. Anyway, so they were playing Artemis there at the Kerwin's Game Shop up in Catskill, if I'm not mistaken. I remember seeing that. And I know that the dream of uh, VR, having the VR goggles like the uh, Oculus and stuff, is that you can turn any room into anything. So you don't, you don't need to have a dedicated room for anything. But... I don't know, it just sort of seems like if we had a different type of economy in a way, like you, you could have this kind of cool stuff like in your house, right? Like dioramas and spaceships and <laughs> like Disney World rides in your house, which I, I know that, uh, I don't know how true it was that Michael Jackson, right, the uh, the singer, not the not the beer hunter guy, um, was... Uh, he had a, he had like Pirates of the Caribbean in his basement, but it cost like millions of dollars. Is that true? Did he have like a Pirates of the Caribbean ride in his basement? I don't know. He was doing some weird stuff over there, but that's a whole other topic. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Due to uh, economic factors, people don't really have that kind of stuff in their house. I mean, I know there's super rich people that have bowling alleys and even shopping malls inside their house. I don't know if they actually hire people to work in the stores in their house. That'd be kind of weird. You'd be just sitting there all day waiting for a family member to come down and quote-unquote buy something. But I'm sure they own everything in the stores anyway, so... Yeah. Well, I think it'd be cool. I'd love to have a, a, a pitch-perfect, accurate... It'd be so cool, like, just in my basement, there was, like, a perfect, accurate, like, 1993 era sharper image, just like in my basement with right? It'd be so cool. You know, that's a store they used to have in all the shopping malls. It was called the Sharper Image. And they they sold a very unique set of, uh, you know, like, worthless crap. But it was really interesting. And 93 would have been a good year um, to to sort of have one. But it'd be kind of cool to have a sharper image, like, in your basement. You just go into your basement and there's, like, a you just enter. It's like you know the entrance to the store in the mall. You have a sharper image in your in your basement. That'd be cool. I think all these things are going to be possible with the, the next phase of AI possible. Uh, you could just ask the AI to to build you a circa ninety three um, sharper image in your basement, and it'll it'll be able to do it. You know, it'll just it'll use all available references. Images, uh, news stories, videos, every, everything that's out there. It sort of it'll it'll sort of three D print all the products and everything, <laughs> and then you can have it. And after a while, you'll be like, "What the hell? Why is there a sharper image in my basement? This sucks." AI, get rid of it. Give me a different store. Give me a Tower Records in my basement. That's kind of that's kind of large though. Entire Tower Records. 
Well, you could you could have a new store like every few months, you know, just you can tell the A, surprise me, you know, whatever was in the mall in 93. Why is it all about 93? I don't know. Everything's all everything's all 93 related. I don't know. I don't know. What kind of vehicle is this? Oh, it's the uh the the postal truck. Indeed. From the United States Postal Service. Anyway, and something perhaps distantly re- related, you may have heard on last episode's Other Side the audio of uh, the making of I'm Your Man. And uh, did you hear it? Did you hear yes, last episode's uh, Other Side? I played it once or twice before, too. So I didn't really – I never saw this movie. It's a movie called I'm Your Man. It's not really a movie. It's an interactive movie called I'm Your Man uh, from 1992. What was that phrase? Remember that incident that had that tape of my grandparents' 50th anniversary and my everyone was talking about the, the most recent episode of Family Ties and my mother was like, oh, n- now for the discussion, uh, I'm your man. <laughs> and I did eventually see the episode because they were talking about this episode and then my, my cousins were like, oh, the Sunflower Girl salute. And Shambles here on the channel, he he has all the episodes on DVD of Family Ties. And he found the episode in question uh, where the father was trying to sort of be best friends with the daughter, played by Tina Yothers, remember her? And uh, uh, I, I'm your man. Because they were doing a meeting where they're talking about, like, sexuality and the birds and the bees. He's like, I, I, I'm your man. I'll talk about that. Listen, I'm being very, this is all very vague. But anyway, this has nothing to do with that except the phrase, I'm your man. And uh, I just thought the making of, especially as audio, was really interesting because it's like uh, these different people that are in it are talking about the process of making this sort of nonlinear movie. And it kind of like makes total sense to make, to take the kind of idea of like, you know, those choose your own adventure books, those books where. Remember, like, The Cave of Time? I, I had the first wave of those books, you know, like, uh, you know, which way do you want to go? Do you want to <coughs> turn left <coughs> and go deeper into the dungeon, or you want to turn right and go up the mysterious stairway? If you want to turn left, go to page 44. If you want to turn right, go to page 16. You know, you know that whole thing. And the idea that that could really work as, um, um, you know, in a movie, where the idea is, like, there's, a bunch of people in theater and they have a little control in front of them and they can sort of vote and choose which direction to go in. So that was the idea of I'm Your Man. If you heard it, the making of, they they describe it fairly well. Um, So I decided to actually see if I could find find it to watch it and in fact, it was released on DVD in like 96 or 98 or something. And someone uh, was kind enough to sort of uh, to dump the DVD uh, video onto YouTube. And um, the DVD has those interactive elements. So it's kind of, I don't know if you're seeing everything, but you're seeing pretty much most of the what it is. And the thing is, it's really a terrible example of this genre because nothing really happens. Like, like it's just the same story. It's not like you would imagine, which is that there's these branching storylines 
And, of course, in more recent history, there was a Black Mirror episode called Bandersnatch that did a very something very similar, which I think that one did actually uh, explore different avenues. But that also – I think this is – the idea of this uh, genre is uh, very good, but uh, the actual implementation is quite a, quite a bit difficult. And uh, I think that um, in this case, it, there was really almost no interaction no interactivity or no real different outcomes. It's very hard to say. So <coughs> um, the movie itself only goes for about 10 or 15 minutes because apparently they had to uh, encode it onto a, a laser disc, which only had at that time about 45 minutes of usable random access video on it. Anyway, one of the most interesting parts of this movie is that it stars Kevin Seal. Certainly not a household name, but he was an MTV VJ. If you may remember, MTV started with the original five VJs, and they kept those five for a long time, right? Martha Quinn, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and J.J. Jackson. Listen, I didn't have to read that off anything. I just know it because MTV was very important to me growing up. But eventually they started bringing in new, new VJs or video jocks, video jockeys, and Kevin Seal was one of them. He was like a very sarcastic guy. Uh, mid, I think more like the mid '80s, '86, '87, '88, that kind of time period. Um, so he was f- a pretty much like a very big uh, VJ on MTV for a while, and then by '92, I guess he had sort of retired from the VJ game and was now in this movie. So he's the star of the movie, one of the three stars in the movie. Um, he plays Jack, someone, and. Uh, He's just sort of this loser guy. And then there's this – the villain is is this businessman, and he's played by this guy who played Niedermeyer in Animal House. He's kind of a guy that plays villains. And then the woman – I forget her name. Her name was Colleen Quinn. I only remember that because it's so similar to Colin Quinn, who was a comedian that was on Saturday Night Live for a long time. I actually saw him on Broadway doing his version of history. That was weird. <laughs> Colin Quinn's history show. Uh, but he wasn't in it. Only it's Colleen Quinn, and it takes. It's interesting because it takes place in in Soho, in New York City. I think on like by by like uh, was it Green Street near? Yeah, Green and Spring. Actually, I used to I, when I was in college. I used to live in that area, around that area in Soho, and it takes place in the Soho building. Um, so the idea is that they're going to this party at this art gallery but the woman's trying to give the FBI some discs to get the the bad guy to go to jail yada yada and it's just uh uh yeah really not super um the 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 end product is not very good but just it's kind of cool like Soho in 92 and that kind of vibe and Kevin Seal it's sort of interesting uh, for that time it's just the time period is interesting interesting to me because i was sort of and I, then i did i was working downtown more over by varick and spring right so a little and i used to always go to soho from there so it's a world that i kind of knew personally going through going there um and the music was done by joe jackson yes that same joe jackson Stepping out tonight, stepping out into the night. You know, Joe Jackson. 
and he and he's interviewed on the making of. I don't know how they got him to make the the music. It was so weird. Joe Jackson, he was a pretty famous guy, and then, um, apparently they had edited this part out, but they included it as an extra feature. When you went to see it in the movie theater, there was this uh, mad scientist guy that was telling you how to press the buttons and stuff, and he was played by A. Whitney Brown. Again, not a household name, but he was on Saturday Night Live for a few years, A. Whitney Brown. And his big catchphrase when he he, you know, he was a stand-up comedian, he said, Hi, everyone. I'm A. Whitney Brown. Someday I hope to be the Whitney Brown. Hey, LOL. Good joke. Yeah, on uh, Wikipedia it said that he was like a juvenile delinquent and would burglarize houses and stuff. But I think it's kind of like a fake. I don't know if it's really true that he was... He doesn't seem like he had it in him to be a juvenile delinquent and criminal. (laughs) Hey, Whitney Brown. I think someone was just messing with his page. I'd have to do more research on that. (coughs) Because who's going to care one way or the other if someone vandalizes A. Whitney Brown's webpage? Whatever happened to this guy? Maybe he he did it to himself. He wants to seem cooler. He, He wants to have that criminal vibe, man. A reformed criminal, a Whitney Brown, not the Whitney Brown. Yeah, so just yeah, just look up uh, "I'm Your Man" 1992. Uh, you can you can see it on uh, if you want to. I mean, I don't. I I enjoyed watching it for you know for what it was. They also have storyboards and notes. Like they, like they, this is a super complete kind of thing. And this company Interfilm apparently made a few more movies, like Bombmeister and a few other ones. And uh, they were, I guess they just got worse from there. There's some reviews of their movies that uh, all the reviews are just completely negative. It doesn't seem like they were, I get the idea, but it just seems like they weren't really exploring the concept. Right? Where you you would have branching storylines where things really changed a lot. I don't know. It was very kind of frustrating. (laughs) But anyway... Uh, I was inspired by the other side to actually seek out <coughs> and uh, explore that whole thing. And Kevin Seal apparently, uh, I guess he sort of became a stay-at-home dad and does uh, voiceover. Maybe still does some voiceover work, but st- but stopped being sort of an upfront celebrity kind of person. But the Niedermeyer guy seems like he's the kind of guy you'd know his face. He's been in a, he's been in a million things. He plays sort of like a villain kind of character every time. You know what I'm talking about? Whatever happened to these people? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> there goes that mail truck again. But, yeah, of course, this does relate to a related concept, Cinema Rides, which was a kind of a 90s phenomenon as well. Um, Location based movies, movie rides with a, a motion picture element. So, for example, um, I uh, when I went out to Las Vegas, Las Vegas back in was it ninety three? It may have been ninety three ish, yeah. Uh, and stayed at the Luxor Hotel, and they had their cinema rides there, put together by Douglas Trumbull. In fact, I do play some audio from the like the making of Luxor on the other side from time to time, and uh, there was this uh, trilogy of cinema rides there. Um. You know, one of them where you're sitting, it's very similar to like uh, at Disney World, they had uh, Star Tours or 
body wars where you're sitting in a little room that was on hi- jacked up on hydraulics and then there's a movie screen in the front and it feels like you're riding you're in a vehicle riding kind of like a spaceship inside your house kind of um and then there was one where you're like standing on a platform and it's like it, it was all about these ancient egyptian artifacts and it was like a trilogy of rides and maybe one where you're in a theater and that didn't last too long. They, they shut that down a few years later. I, I, I think it was only around for like 93 to 98 or something like that. Don't, don't quote me on that. But. And then, of course, around the same time as well, maybe 94-ish, up at the Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut, they had a, 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 an attraction called a Cinetropolis. And again, they had three or four different cinema rides Um, Again, the one on hydraulics that shakes around, the one where you're standing in a room and the the movies are all around you. Just like at Disney World, they used to have the Magic Carpet 360 ride, and there's a few of those movies in Epcot and stuff. And there's a 3D movie, but it was Cinetropolis, and it was kind of like this city at night inside the casino. And I, I remember in the past on this show, I always wanted to sort of tackle the topic of cinema rides, but I always kind of screwed it up. But that's sort of – I think everyone was kind of thinking along those lines back then for some reason. The interactivity in movies and videos and – but not video games really. But obviously video games did work and this whole cinema rides, interactive movies kind of, has, kind of hasn't worked out. So it's kind of weird. Listening uh, to some CDs here. Yeah, I bought uh, a CD box set. From Cherry Red Records. Because uh, these, these uh, compilations of various artists, they put it on streaming, but they only put like a fraction of the tracks on there. This is a really good one. This is uh, Come Together, Adventures on the Indie Dance Floor, 1989-1992. So this is this music from Britain, kind of centered around uh, Manchester and the Mad Chester sound that I was so into back then. Um, my sort of point of entry was MTV, the aforementioned MTV, and their 120-minute show. And I came to know the uh, the heavy hitters in this uh, in this world of music. Happy Mondays, of course. Um, the song Step On, which is actually a cover. I don't know if they have it in this. They have uh, se- several Happy Mondays songs. Uh, also Kinky Afro from Happy Mondays and of course uh, The Stone Roses with uh, Fool's Gold um, which s- this starts disc 2 is the uh, the 9 minute 53 second version of uh, Fool's Gold by uh, Stone Roses yes, I actually have a CD player here uh, this was this song is just so amazing Gold Road Show Long Road Winds on down the hill for 15 days. Anyway, um, as I love this genre, and this is on the cover, they kind of named the. These are the bands they have in here: the Stone Roses, Primal Scream, love them. Happy Monday, Saint Etienne, James, 808 State. I love 808 State, especially their XL album. It's what I consider that one of the perfect albums. In Spiral Carpets, uh, Flowered Up, the Soup Dragons, the Charlatans. Paris Angels, Northside, World of Twist, Interstellar. I actually bought a, a, a CD, from an import CD of Interstellar because um, Interstellar and the Family of People because my other entree into this world 
think that I was living in New Jersey at the time and not England, uh, where the import magazines you can get at like, like Tower Records, the aforementioned Tower Records. I used to get Select magazine. I, I would buy it at the newsstand, Select. It was a uh, great music magazine from Britain. Uh, and uh, would, they, would just, they were so great at hyping up these records they reviewed, so I wound up trying to buy them all. The Shaman. Ooh, what Shaman song do they have? Because I, I was also a big fan of the Shaman. Electronic, A Certain Ratio, Julian Cope. What Shaman song do they have? Let's see. Let's listen to some more of this song. I mean, I, I, I had this on CD. I've, I've heard this so many times, but I, the thing about this collection is it, it has a ton of songs that are in the same vein that I'd never heard, which is what I wanted to discover new music in this genre. Can I find the shaman on here? I'm scanning my eyes. I'm no clown. I won't back down. Don't need you to tell me what's going down. Oh, the shaman is a progen. Okay, Land of Osmix. Okay, I, I know that one. Oh, they do have Step On by Happy Mondays. He's gonna step on you again. Yeah. The, I mean, it's a cover of a song that no one ever heard. It's a South African musician named John Congos. So. Anyway, this is great. And it's just a small box. None of these jewel cases are giant boxes. It's a small box that holds four CDs and little cardboard sleeves and a little booklet. Very simple packaging concept. was not overly expensive. And uh, I'm going to rip it. I have a, a CD drive I'm going to rip it with on my PC at some point. Uh, so I can listen to it easier. But I'm, I'm, I have a little cheapo CD player here that, that works. So, I'm really enjoying this. What 808 State song do they have? They have, uh... Well, let's see. Here's the next song. Here's, uh... Oh, from the Charlatans. I mean, the big song that was on 120 Minutes was The Only One I Know, but this is a different one called Indian Roop. Yeah, they had that uh, the B3 organ sound. But yeah, this was a remarkable time for music, a remarkable scene. Oh, look, they even have Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. That's a good band. And uh, Pop Will Eat Itself. I think I mentioned them. When did I mention Pop Will Eat Itself recently? X, Y, and Z. That's a good song. But this this collection... Uh, tries to um, lean towards the the more um, dance remixes, right? The longer uh, uh, extended versions of songs. So, pretty groovy stuff, if you ask me. All right, where did I leave off? Track thirteen. I believe I'm using a CD player here. This is wild. What is this? The telescopes with Celeste. I don't know if I know this song. Playing. Play. Music. Anyway, today's episode is called Colonnaded Riddles. And look at that show art. That is some weird stuff going on there. Uh, this uh, started off as a, a photo I took on my phone last week. 
actually one week ago when I went into the city, and I was uh, driving through Lyndhurst by the 7-Eleven. And by the way, there's an episode of the Overnight Escape from right before the pandemic hit called On Moss, which had this exact 7-Eleven, and then I put New York City in the background, and it was kind of a weird predictive thing about um, the pandemic or something. But anyway, uh, I was on the bus, and this uh, UPS truck was trying to get out. And so they were, like, right by where I was sitting, and they couldn't get out. They were, like, stuck there because the bus was there. all sorts of stuff. So uh, I took this picture. I thought it was kind of cool. I'm looking at the original picture here. And um, I recently just got the uh, the version of Photoshop that has um, the, the AI features, AI imaging features, such as you can extend an image. So what I did at first was I turned the image black and white, and then I allowed Photoshop to colorize it using AI. It was not perhaps particularly successful, but then I had an idea, or had a brainwave, as they say in Britain. Is that what they say? It's a weird thing to say. I had an idea that um, I would take that colorized version and overlay it over the original version and do the difference. So all that was left was the, uh, the difference between the original colors and the colorized version. And that was very cool. And then I played around with some other filters, and then I applied that filter to the original image, and I overlaid that. That gave a you know a little bit darkening of some highlights, and uh, then I had Photoshop uh, generate a, an extended top and bottom, and it it looks almost seamless. Like if you look at this image, it's sort of like I'm inside the bus, and so much of this image is just generated by Photoshop. It's not even real. Um, so I got this crazy look with the green sky and the orange ground. And, and then I actually I created like a puppet in the upper, uh, to the upper right of the uh, truck. See, the truck looks like it's silver, but it's actually originally was like a brown UPS truck. You can see the other UPS truck uh, in the distance there. And uh, created this weird puppet statue, like wearing this red dress kind of thing. <laughs> and this weird red velvet hat. Very creepy. Clearly an AI puppet creature. In the upper right, <laughs> yeah, has that? I've been just, uh, you know, very disgusted with AI artwork, but I figured in this case it's a new tool, so I was playing around with it. Um, and that's how I came up with this image. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to call it? Well, first of all, the fonts I chose were the fonts I talked about uh, last episode. Actually, when I was playing a clip of myself on my 40th birthday, as last episode was my 56th birthday, and. Um, it was it was in this place called Maui Tacos by the Empire State Building, and I there was a font that turned out to be Arriba Arriba, but I was saying is it Arecibo? So I used Arriba Arriba uh, as to typeset the overnightscape here, and then uh, I used Arecibo to typeset Colonnaded Riddles, and uh, so that's the story of the show art. But what is what are Colonnaded Riddles? So I was thinking of uh, well. A lot of things, but, um, you know, how things are just so mysterious in this world. It's almost like this world is built out of mysteries. Um, and thinking of that song, of course, Surf's Up by the Beach Boys. Surf's up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, ah, well, the tidal wave. You know, that song was originally on, uh, going to be on Smile, the great lost album that is, has somewhat been found again. Uh, love Smiles, one of my favorite albums. Smile Sessions, uh, if you look up Smile Sessions by the Beach Boys, 
you will get a, a good representation of what the album could have been because it was abandoned at the time. Brian Wilson also did his own rendition of it, which I would not recommend. I would go with the Smile Sessions, disc one version. Uh, but one of the lyrics in Surf's Up is, Colonnaded ruins, domino. Domin I've, how do they say domino? Colonnaded ruins, domino. Canvas the town and toss the backboard. Are you sleeping? Brother John. But anyway, Colonnaded Ruins, and I think I think it was Mike Love, uh, the, one of the singers, he was fed up with all of this uh, advanced lyrics and stuff. They were thinking about surfer girls and stuff, and now they're talking about Colonnaded Ruins. And he was complaining about these lyrics, uh, you know, because it, it was a collab... The, the lyrics and they were co collaboration between Brian Wilson and also Van Dyke Parks, who he has a couple inter really interesting albums that... Uh, What's that album by his big album? Which was, I think, the most um, uh, the most expensive album of all time up till that point. And it was uh, commercially unsuccessful. But it was called um, Song Cycle, right? It's really a good album. I strongly recommend it. It's a very affected way of singing. Sixty-seven was this. This album is certainly off-putting and is. No one's going to get anything out of it the first time they hear it, but you guys got to keep hearing Van Dyke Park songs like over and over again, and I, I really dig it. I do at this point. So col a, a colonnaded ruins, so a colonnade is basically a, a series of uh, columns that are holding up, so holding up a roof or holding something up. So a series of columns is colonnaded. So colonnaded ruins domino is sort of like symbolic of a collapse of empire, the end, the end of a cycle, right? Um, so that's why I sort of was thinking of colonnaded ruins. Colonnaded, I came up with colonnaded riddles because it feels like our entire world that we're living in is just being supported by a series of riddles <laughs> instead of a series of columns. So we're, we're, our, the, the underpinning of our world is a colonnaded riddles. That's sort of the idea. Anyway, very strange show art. And that evil puppet. Well, maybe it's a good puppet. Anyway, I just got this in the mail. I haven't opened it yet. I want to talk about music magazines from Britain. I'm still getting one. Select is long gone, but this is the magazine you got to get. It's called Shindig. I started getting it at uh, Barnes & Noble, the, uh, the Barnes & Noble newsstand, but uh, half the time I, I missed out on it because I only got a few copies at each, each location. So Shindig. Magazine Shindig with an exclamation mark. You, it's the best music magazine. It covers rock music of the past and the present, and just cool music. Look, let's just look at the cover and what they're covering on this this issue, which is uh, issue. What issue is this? One forty-four. All right. The cover story is the move. I thought it would be nice if Jeff and I could get together and do a sort of Lennon McCartney, the death of the move and the birth of ELO. 
the electric light orchestra isn't that the guy that uh eventually was one of the members of the uh traveling mulberries jeff what's his name the le the least famous one is that what i'm thinking of but also incredible string band success in 68 i'm a huge fan of incredible string band what are the magazine would be talking about incredible string band in 2023 goat take their medicine goat is a is a newer a, a current band they all wear masks and it's kind of interesting music uh, you can win the coral vinyl t-shirt bundle i've listened a bit to the coral um 80s mod purism chris stamey tony visconti matt berry he's an interesting guy he's a musician but he's also in tv shows I think he's in that uh, vampire show, what, what We Do in the Shadows, uh, The Alalaz, Brinsley Schwartz. I don't know all these people. Rodriguez, The Prisoners, and C the Canterbury label. But, yeah, there's I, I get so many great music uh, directions. and I think that's where I found the Cherry Red Records and all these compilations and everything. Oh, look, the new album by Goat is out October 13th. I wonder if there's... Uh, I wonder if there's any songs. You, you, you know, usually when there'll be a few songs out from an album. This album's called Medicine by Goat. There's ads for it in here. Let's see. Goat. I don't know. The, the whole band just wearing masks, it gets a little, a little tiresome after a while. But listen, they can do what they want, okay? Here's a song from that album called The Unemployment Office. Let's see if it's a good song. I haven't heard this one. Just take off the masks, people. Stop wearing all these masks. Just play the music. I don't know why these mask people annoy me so much. Psychedelic. It's considered psychedelic music. I like it. It's actually really good, actually. I, I do like this a lot. See, this, this kind of music doesn't really appeal to a mass audience, so that's why they're at the unemployment office. <laughs> they can't make any money off their music. Good stuff. I'll check out this album. And there's another song from the album called Join the Resistance Edit. What is the original? Like 12 minutes long. They had to edit it. Let's fast forward here. Sounds good to me. Goat. A word that's been seriously damaged by uh, the use and kind of like Annoying people talking about sports. Well, he's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. The, he's the GOAT. Michael Jordan's the GOAT of basketball. Ah, shut up. Maybe sometimes a GOAT is just a GOAT. The hell, man. But Yeah, this is a good magazine. Yeah, last, that last issue had a lot of K, uh, KPM, the library music. Let me see if they have the KPM stuff here. KPM, yeah, yeah. It, uh, library music. It was these, uh, here's a jazz rock from 72, The Great Escape. It, it was just music you would, you would buy the records and you could put them in your TV shows and stuff. You had to pay a fee, you know. Oh, his name is Jeff Lynn. That's it, yeah. <clears throat> library music. Yeah, I found a... Uh, <clears throat> On Quora, you know that website you get to when you search for something that you don't really want to be on, but they have answers to things. <coughs> um, 
What happened to the hipster movement? And here's this guy, Rick Hardman, uh, one year ago. <coughs> it seemed I skimmed this. This seems to be a pretty good overview of what happened to them. And someone else said they died out around 2016, 2017. Hipsters, like any other trend, fell out of fashion, like yuppies did a decade earlier. They did coalesce with several technological and cultural changes that affected millennials as a whole, but hipsters were largely scapegoated for them. The late 2000s through, tw- 2000s through 2015, Internet was dominated by clickbait that often focused on what new thing hipsters slash millennials were ruining. By 2010, hipsters, despite being trendsetters, were widely mocked. Hipsters were also seen as near-universally upper-middle-class white or East Asian. It was seen as always punching up when criticizing them for sites like Buzzkill. It was socially acceptable. What? Hipsters can be identified by indie music, cynicism, dressing like they were broke, and an obsession with authenticity and vintage. Why on earth were they hated so much? Hipsters were seen as elitist. As a group, they were seen as trying to gatekeep. Once something became popular, they would drop it immediately and criticize it for its mass appeal, selling out. They were fiercely anti-corporate and anti-capitalist, probably stemming from the 2008 housing crisis. They widely derided others' tastes, normies, and those who worked hard, tryhards. Outsiders were seen as following trends and not thinking for themselves. The problem with being anti-capitalist with a large disposable income, in reality anti-popular, is that whatever you are into becomes popular. The hipster solution to this was to bury everything under a thick layer of irony. That way they could continue to like what they had popularized, but ironically. At its height, it was unfashionable with hipsters to publicly like anything, be sincere, or come off as earnest. This irony often came off as really smug and rude. Okay, but what really killed them out? An asteroid? It was irony and equity. Hipsters, despite being relatively unpopular for the time, were pretty long-lived as a fad or trend. Uh, The constant need to be new and authentic meant the group was constantly in search of the next big thing and reinventing themselves. They ended up having a disproportionate influence on wider culture as dependable trendsetters until liking popular stuff ironically killed the drive to invent or discover. Once outlets could no longer depend on them to find the next hot trend, their influence diminished. Politically, they were far left, which no doubt helped lead to the trend's end. The rise of equity as a value directly conflicted with hipsters, hipsters being very white and very well off, no longer fit dogma. Their authenticity obsession also aged very poorly. A bunch of rich white kids gatekeeping what is and isn't authentic ethnic food just doesn't fly anymore. The left now pushes for mass media with the broadest appeal because it is in line with equity as a value. Hipsters quickly became politically homeless once values on the left switched around. Hipsters could no longer survive on the left, and after their person, the personal became political. That's interesting. I never heard that. Analysis, though, I, dis, I do think that makes sense. Any lasting legacy? They popularized deconstructionism in particular, but critical theory more broadly. This is why hipsters and social justice warriors were often conflated, and yes, many former hipsters probably joined this group, even though the modern SJW would eviscerate hipster for their values. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I didn't really think about what, what's been happening with people <laughs> in the past couple decade or so. 
I guess it's tough being a young person trying to latch on to whatever's out there. For some reason, I never, ever had any hope of fitting in. So I never, I never was particularly uh, drawn to those movements of any sort of movements because, uh, yeah, <coughs> I just it just wasn't in the cards for me. But I get it though. You you want to fit in. You want to socialize. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. And you just take what you can get. You know. But I do like the fact that the hipsters were so sort of pop culture obsessed. It's about movies and music and all this kind of stuff. Not as much about politics, it doesn't seem, though I, I guess they were politically on the left. But, yeah, so I guess it's over with. It's been over for a while now, apparently. The hipsters. Anyway, another music news. Uh, the Fish Fall Tour starts tonight, yes, in Nashville, Tennessee. Which uh, is almost, almost, almost on East Coast time, but they're in Central time. In fact, uh, when we drove down there, uh, we were sort of running out of time. But there, you, you, like when you're driving through Tennessee, going to the west, you cross over the time zone into Central time, so you get an hour earlier. So we were okay; we had an extra hour. So the show doesn't start tonight till nine, rather than eight o'clock on the East Coast. So. Hopefully I'll be able to stay awake to watch it. Uh, yeah. Of course, I bought the streaming package. I'll probably watch it on my porch. Yes. Love that fish. And they're also going to be at, back at Madison Square Garden for four nights for uh, New Year's. I didn't, uh, I didn't... I wasn't actually even aware of uh, the... Um, that the tickets were going on sale. So I didn't even try to try to enter the lottery, but uh the tickets are uh like let me let me look at the tickets now for fish. That's where I'm. There were a bunch of tickets available. I mean, I don't know about going to the New Year's Eve one. That's the toughest one, but like the Thursday, like 3 days before New Year's. Let's see. Let's see fish. Let's see. Just trying to find it here. Why do I hear music in the distance? Yeah, like the twenty. Let's say the twenty eighth. Right. Yeah, there's a ton of even section two hundred nine is available. Look at this. How much is it? Like one one thirty? I can do a one night like this. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to buy any tickets yet, but there's a ton of tickets available. They were saying it was all sold out. <coughs> yeah, I'm, I'll go. At least one night I'll go. Love seeing fish at an MSG, but yeah, really looking forward to it. It's uh, I missed the latter part of the summer tour because of, uh, <coughs> well, at least uh, Dick's. I missed that Dick's um, because, and that other one. No, because I was in Italy at the time. Yeah, yeah. All right, back on the porch here. The work day is done and three-day weekend. It's Columbus Day on Monday, or for those that are reluctant to invoke the name of Columbus, Indigenous Peoples Day, though it's still technically Columbus Day. 
Yes, I do get the day off. Finishing up this Pepsi I had uh, got from the other day. The new logo. Oh, I'm so happy they changed their logo. As I mentioned last time, the Pepsi tastes so much better with a better logo. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a good logo. As I mentioned, it's kind of a refers back to a lot of their previous logos, so it's instantly recognizable as Pepsi. <coughs> Unlike that previous garbage logo from 2008 to 2023. Mm. Flat Pepsi. Yum, yum. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, then uh, next week my wife is... Uh, you know, I mentioned last time she uh, she broke her arm really bad, and she's going to be have to actually get surgery next week. Hopefully, that will help things out a bit. But it was a very uh, serious injury from a fall, and uh, hopefully, she can get some relief. <coughs> in, fu- in fact, I was originally going to take Tuesday off after that Monday off because I was going to go to Boston and hang out with Rule and Manny because of uh, the whole situation, the broken arm. Uh, canceled that trip as I mentioned last time but I'm still taking the Tuesday off that's actually the day that she's scheduled for the surgery so weird weirdly I didn't have to undo my day off uh, because I think I don't think I'll be able to do any work that day even working from home so yeah hopefully this weekend I'll have time to work on the book it's a big project uh well, I'm working on the uh, September archive right now. So I have the revamped book that will be out soon, the PDF, but you'll see there's going to be a lot of blank spaces for images and stuff. <coughs> really would like to uh, really would like to get the book out in November. That's my goal. So going to keep working on that. But yeah, all these riddles, questions, mysteries... What kind of world are we living in here? And of course, the uh, the news cycle lately has just been completely out of whack, you know. I think the uh, one of the overarching narratives is like they're trying to just like like it has been for such a long time. They're trying to create a new world order where they control everything. <coughs> and I I think the reason why. It's curious that they're saying that is that it seems like they already have achieved that, but they're trying to hide the fact that they've achieved it by threatening, oh, maybe they'll do it this time. Take, they'll take total control. I think they already have total control at this point, you know. Maybe not total control, but you know what I'm saying. It's, uh, you know, like... <coughs> if you have pretty much a stranglehold on power... It might be advisable to pretend you don't. You know, I keep seeing things about the, like the World Economic Forum. What the hell is this? Whoa, it's a souped-up Chevy, uh, like a 70s pickup truck. Wow, they're going way too fast down this residential street. What was I saying? Before that truck rudely interrupted me. Yeah, like the WEF, the World Economic Forum. I keep seeing that. I, like, what is? I don't even know what that is. It's a body of people that are trying to like take over the world or something. I don't know. But it just seems. It does seems like layers of deceptions, illusions, obfuscations, 
distractions, narratives, dialectics, all these things, rather than, I don't know, just being straightforward about everything. Why can't everyone just be straightforward with each other? Why do we have to have all these layers of artifice between each other and at all different levels of power and everything else? What would really happen if everyone just chilled out and got real? You know what I mean? Like, what would really happen? Do we need all this layer of artifice? And I don't know, man. I suppose. I don't know. To me, I I don't understand the full situation, so I'm not going to judge it. But as I've said many times in the past, it's possible that <coughs> what's going on here is uh, the result of... Uh, you know, timeline manipulation that perhaps what we're seeing now and all the weirdness in the news and all of the conspiracy theories, all the whatever, is the result of uh, trying out all these other, like like what I just said, hey, let's just try being, just being completely honest with everyone else. And maybe they tried that in, in a branched off timeline and it didn't work out so well. <laughs> so maybe this is the best of all possible worlds. I don't know. I don't know if it's... I mean, because... No, I don't know. Or is it any different than it's ever been? Has it always been this way? But again, this sort of... What I'm talking about kind of... uh, Implies that there is a world... That has some kind of structure and some sort of history. And I don't want to think that this is all completely fake, but... It, this could we could just be living in a completely fictitious world and there really is no larger situation it's just we're in a scenario we're experiencing things but that's as far as it goes it's just fictional but i know people tend to think it's all real what does real even mean what is real I mean, something is not made up. Real is uh, a situation that has uh, come to exist through a series of, I mean, you might say undirected steps, but clearly in our human world, uh, things are directed by, to some extent, by people are directing how things go, but... The idea is that reality is that uh, there's a sequence of events and things happen uh, there's a actions and reactions that is how did I come to be sitting here on the porch so like if it's this is all fictional I don't know someone or something came up with the idea oh there's a porch and there's a street and then Frank's sitting there it's all fake you know it's like you can make up something in your mind or draw a picture or tell a story. It's fake. So the But the idea is that for this to be real, like there had to be a sequence of events that happened to lead up to this point, right? Someone built this house back in 1920 and then a series of people lived here. Then I finally moved in, you know, that it has this solid history going back. Everything does, right? 
which could also be fictional if there's some way of manipulating events to arrive at a certain point. Right, so the idea is that it's it's not manipulated, that things just just happened, and that's what it, the hallmark of reality, like a, a bunch of stuff just happened, and that's how you got to where you are right now. But no one was directing it. People may have influenced events, but there's no one making it all up. It's, 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 it's sort of just happening in an undirected way. See, it's hard. It's hard to define reality. Ooh, there's a telephone. Telephone. All right, I'm back. Yeah, I guess when you get right down to it, it doesn't really think, doesn't really seem that like real is necessarily possible. Well, because we, right, if if this world is uh, akin to some sort of fiction that we're living in, then it's not real. I mean, it's a real experience, but the world is an artificial world, right? We want to think that there's this undirected sequence of events that happen to lead up to this moment that lends it reality. But how is that? Is that different or preferable or to it being completely concocted? We want to think about this clockwork universe that one thing happens and then another thing happens and then much later you experience something. But you experience something. The, the mystery of consciousness, as I've talked about a lot on this show, right? the observer, the consciousness, and what is being observed, right? You might say this is real. There's been this sequence of uh, undirected uh, events that happened. But once you involve an observer or consciousness, the consciousness is somehow observing a sequence of undirected steps. I would think the observer has some, clearly some agency and some ability to alter what's happening, in which case it's no longer undirected. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, deep down, I have accepted that, listen, I don't know 100%, but 99.9% that what this world I perceive myself living in is most likely a constructed world, an artificial world, a fictional world, what what have you, however you want to characterize it. I, It could be quote-unquote real, whatever that is, but I have kind of accepted the fact that this is a, an artificial experience I'm having, though something perhaps that, you know, I do like it. I do like many aspects of this experience. I guess that's part of it is, you know, are we, do we want to be here or are we being forced to be here or can we not help being here? I tend to think that we want to, I want to be here <laughs> at some cosmic level. But <sighs> I think along the same vein as something I said a few weeks ago, just sort of like the idea that we can 
form in our minds this concept that there's that this world is real is in itself remarkable that we could sort of as a society or as a group of people come to this conclusion that it's it is just here it's there's 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 no one directing it and i know people that are religious yes it's god that's doing it i understand that so it's it's not fictional it's just a world created by god but that makes it kind of fictional right if God created the world, it's like a writer creating a story. So the world is kind of fictional from the mind of God. You look at the kind of stuff that happens in this world. What's going on with the, that mind? I know, I know. I know what? What do I know? I don't know. Listen. All sorts of weird stuff going on these days. Yeah. Indeed. Anyways, with that, I'd like to say thank you so much for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey, USA. And uh, today is October 6th. Friday, October 6th, 2023. Yes, every time I say the date, it sounds fake, but it's real. <laughs> is it real? It is real. Yes, um... We are here on uh, OnSug Radio, a radio station broadcasting from inside a book. And you can get this book. It's called OnSug Radio. The previous edition is, is called The OnSug, and it was uh, put out in 2021. You can grab that, an actual print edition, print on demand. There's not many copies out there. And if you want to grab a copy, go get it. Just go to OnSug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com. That's OnSug. is short for Overnightscape Underground. So Overnight, the Overnightscape Underground, or OnSug Radio is the name of our project here. Dozens and dozens of different hosts, over 14,000 hours of audio content, over 11,000 individual episodes. We're a non-commercial project. We uh, have a unique style. We're very focused on preserving our audio on into the far future. Hopefully there is a future <laughs> if this world is utterly fictional it may just uh, there may be no future but i'm assuming that there's a future even if there is no future here at least the audio could be exported to be appreciated in other aspects of reality all right man different aspects of reality here there and everywhere to lead a better life i need my love to be Facing each day of the years, both of us thinking... It's a good song, right? By the Beatles? Yeah. Anyways, yeah, you can participate, and please do, in this archive. Your voice can be heard. Just check out uh, Overnight Escape Central. Mr. PQ River out of Truth and Consequences to Mexico puts out a new episode each week and then puts forth... Hello. Doing good. How's it going? Good. good. Puts forth the topic for the week after. Next week's topic uh, coming up this Monday is actors and actresses. I, I did some research. I, d I still don't know if the word actress is one of those words you're not allowed to use anymore or not. It's, I think that word's on the edge. It's teetering on the edge of being offensive, but it's not quite offensive yet. Use it while you can. Use it or lose it. You can use the word actress at least for a while. But then, in a few years, people will find the, that you use the word actress, and then, even though it was fine at the time, they'll be like, listen, you said the word actress. You're out of here. You're canceled. You can't use the word actress. you got to say actor. 
Anyways, actors and actresses are is the topic. Yeah, just record some audio and send it to PQ, and he'll put it in the show. And uh, your voice will be on this archive. People can hear you in the far future, if there is such a far future. There is a far future. Far futures and are for far other dimensions. Do it. Participate. We'd love to hear from you. And now we are going here, there, and hither and yon. Here, there, and everywhere. Here, there, and the other side. The Slugger's Wife is a baseball picture written by America's most durable playwright, Neil Simon. Famous for such great comedies as The Goodbye Girl, The Sunshine Boys, and The Odd Couple, just to mention a few. Everybody 
Modesto, he's got his best, so I say Modesto Before he sees us, gotta be gone I got my high top sneakers on We gotta get out before we fall Dip out the back, others are gone Under the boardwalk into the alley He will stalk you all the way to Cali But I'll meet up with you later When the evil alligator has gone back into the swamp No more baseball boost to stop No more parties to keep secret Or tighten lips to keep it Away from the evil here Gotta have your weed, gotta have your beer Give me a quarter It's not for a game I need to make a phone call What was your name? How long will you stay? Do you have a ride? From my soul in a blender My brain is fried
grand opening night begins as performers from Luxor's dinner show, Winds of the Gods, greet guests at the front entrance. I would like to extend our congratulations. Thank you, Circus, for bringing Egypt to the desert and creating an, an oasis of entertainment. 25 years after Circus Circus's inception, William G. Bennett flips a symbolic switch to turn on Luxor's light beam. If you guys are ready, I will now flip a switch and you will see some of the most amazing effects you've ever seen in your life. At 6.45 p.m. on October 14, 1993, the world's most powerful beam of light permanently changes the Las Vegas skyline, signifying Luxor's official grand opening. And the present was wonderful and spectacular. The preview looks great. Everybody runs into me and says, aren't you that visionary archaeologist? I get that all the time now. That's because Bill takes risks. Yeah. Now look at this. <laughs> On October 15th, Luxor invites the public to the largest atrium in the world to get on board the reed boats for the Nile River journey. Visit a state-of-the-art video arcade. Enjoy the 100,000 square foot casino and experience the attractions for the first time. Look at the cavern we discovered yesterday. The simulator ride is the first part of the trilogy. In it, Mac hitches the audience to his monolev, pulling them into the secret underground excavation to find Karina and the sacred obelisk. There's just like this big old blue thing. It shoots these lasers out of its eyes. I was like, you know, feeling like I'm going to fall, so I have to hold tight. It went good. She started screaming and yeah, but I, I quieted down then. I was screaming because it was fun. Blood pressure went up, the heartbeat went up, it was, it was intense. Felt like I was zooming through time and entering uncharted areas. And we're trying to rescue this girl in there. Karina! Is it rescuing the girl? Yeah, we did, but we got shot by the lady. Uh-huh. But that brought us back to the present. The second part of the trilogy, Luxor Live, is a parody of television talk shows that makes fun of Mac and Karina's occult experiences. He's trying to discredit my discovery by calling it a hoax or the occult and trying Magic, to keep it a secret. Magic, occult, whatever words you want to use, it's all baloney. But you know it's something more than that. That's it mixes live actors with film and video images, culminating with spectacular 3D special effects as the audience shares Karina's discovery of the true meaning of the obelisk. The final attraction is a trip into the future in the theater of time, where Mac, Karina, and the audience experience visions of the future in a time machine. Technology, experiences, architecture, there's a lot of risk involved in being the first to do something. I never believed circus would buy off on a true pyramid that dealt with an atrium casino. 
That's why I think Luxor is so important because it sets a whole new standard. I mean, there's nothing like it in the world. Absolutely nothing like it. I think this is a monumental achievement to have done all this in 18 months. This was a trailer park 18 months ago, and now facing the fact that this place is going to be full of people forever. You know, it will never close. This place is open 24 hours a day. Uh, it's a living thing.
Is it a disease? Is it a film? Is it a celluloid miracle? Don't throw your money away on women. See high anxiety. Spend your money wisely. See me, Mel Brooks, in high anxiety. High anxiety. Leicester Square, Prince Charles Theatre, rating certificate A. Why are they dropping those things on me? What have I done? I've done nothing. And yet I'm being splattered by feathered feathers. Come and get me from all parts of the sky. I don't believe... I've got some help. Help! Help! Yes, that was a scene from High Anxiety. Mel Brooks attacked by pigeons for no good reason at all. See Mel Brooks' homage to Alfred Hitchcock. High Anxiety. Prince Charles Theatre, Leicester Square. Rating Certificate A. Lindsay, is that struggling with your nine-year-old dog who is Paige? Or snuggling with your nine-year-old dog, Paige? I think the dog is named Paige. I think so, too. Hi, Paige. Uh, Michael and uh, Matthew Anderson, you are absolutely wrong about that. Michael Anderson says Fisherman is on fire tonight. Michael uh, Matthew Anderson says Fisherman is on fire tonight. Matthew Fisherman is on fire every night. I'm currently not on fire. <laughs> you see, not on fire. Nice fleshy. I'm a, nice fleshy, I'm a nice fleshy drummer. <laughs> I'm a nice fleshy, Paige goes, drummer. <laughs> nice fleshy drummer. Ah, my flesh attack. And Michael, I'm Matthew like Anderson. Introduce our fleshy drummer. <laughs> nice fleshy drummer. John Fishman, who is on fire. Matthew, did you know that fire extinguisher spelled backwards is tax insurance? <laughs> Spell it out. <laughs> I knew that. Enjoy your jacket tonight, Mike, very much. And I, your hoodie. <laughs> and I, your hoodie. Nye, your hoodie. It's like a lemon wheel. It is. It's I, your hoodie. You've made lemons out of a sweatshirt. Well, he wears it when he's angry. This is I, your hoodie. the first time we've ever played a show that everyone that wanted to get in could get in. Everyone. We are happy you are here. Thank you.
job Sure like your dad Shoot up your dad Shut up, dance, feed me, then keep me moving Hello Peru, don't get a clue, we don't dig you Get off your feet, swinging from a tree that was once Shit in your pants you Shoot at your parents You show we like some Company But we can't let you in Could I have a taste of Just one of your mushrooms Trip on your waist, have another taste. I lick it off your finger. Below the doom, bumps become bruised while they argue. Get on your feet, swing into the beat of my army. Shine up your decks.
is our chance, our chance to be free. See the light now. He got his song. How a train full of love sent from above. Pioneer Express is running. Ring the bell, I hear it coming. Pioneer Express is right on time to gather souls. Our next movie is a brand new full-length animated adventure cartoon from the Walt Disney Studios. And no matter how uneven the Disney output may have been in recent years, I always wait with a lot of anticipation for their new animated films, maybe because of all the great memories I have of Disney classics. Pinocchio, Snow White, those were the I movies... I bet you could go on and on and name other ones, I could too. name 32 more, I believe. <laughs> and you know, when I was a kid, I thought animated films were more real than live-action films because the edges were sharper and the colors were brighter. Right. That's before I realized that most people look like you and not like Pinocchio, although it's close. Did you ever the identify with Dumbo? <laughs> with Dumbo? Yeah. No, I never did identify How about with Mrs. Jumbo? <laughs> no, I never identified with Mrs. Jumbo either, you know. Okay. And I'm sure that you, <laughs> I think we'd better just move on and review Keep the reading. film. Thank okay. you. And Because I'm thinking in a second of who you would identify with, right. but I'm afraid it wouldn't be in a Disney film. <laughs> Right ahead. Won, what was the one from the Black Lagoon? And this new <laughs> film is close. It's called The Black Cauldron. And I'm happy to say that I really did like this movie because one moment I was sitting there thinking profound film critic type thoughts about the future of animation and whether this would make it or not. The next minute, I was into the story itself and really having a good time. This movie tells the story of a legendary Black Cauldron, which is the source of evil in the kingdom and the struggle by a young warrior named Terran who seeks to find the cauldron before it's captured by the evil horned king. <laughs> but first, in this scene, we meet some of the characters in the film. Oh, never mind. No telling where Hemwyn is by now. Oh, Matt, 
Creeper, and he's a little servant who kowtows to the Horn King all the time. He kind of reminded me of Mel Brooks in the Twelve Chairs. Remember, uh, right. crawling around on his knees and kissing the hands of all of his servants and masters and so forth. I really liked it. I mentioned again the way that this movie is filled with all kinds of characters like that, and I also like the special effects of the whole movie being animated as special effects. But the idea of that cauldron with the tower of flame and so forth, and when the cauldron explodes and everything at the end of the movie, it's kind of thrilling, it's kind of exciting. The plot of the Black Cauldron is fairly involved, and perhaps I ought to explain that one of the best friends of that young warrior is a cute little pig who is psychic and who has the power of being able to look into a pot of soup and make the pot of soup mirror the location of the Black Cauldron. Now, this led to one of the funniest experiences I've ever had as a movie critic, Gene. I have to tell this story on you. Because here you are, a college graduate, a yeah. philosophy major. We're sitting there looking at the black cauldron, and suddenly I realize that Gene has come over next to my chair, and he's whispering, But Raj, if the pig is psychic, why can't they find out where the black cauldron is before the Horned King does? And I'm thinking, that's a good point. Then I'm realizing, this is really an interesting conversation for adults to be having, you know. This, right. uh, the, credibil right. the credibility of psychic pigs. And yes. so I hand it over to you. You think that the problems like that in the plot well that's uh, that's one problem really bothered there's you. another problem which is that supposedly this black cauldron is the source of evil in the world you know uh -huh. well the king the the uh, the uh, bad guy is already evil he's plenty evil he's so evil that everyone's afraid of him so what does he need the cauldron for? well i think if he gets the cauldron then he can be even more evil and he can oh, well, rule that's, everything that's and take over that's the entire kingdom right, yeah. right now he's not doing so bad i don't see anybody else with a franchise around the, the neighborhood <laughs> uh, i liked the creeper I love the pig. Uh -huh. If the movie were about the creeper and the pig, fine. Uh -huh. The human characters, the quote human characters with their English accents, why not make it a good old Americans? You know, that's what I liked about Snow White. It had a nice American voice. Anyway, no. Then it would be fine. I think that all the human characters in the film are, are ridiculous. I love some of the animals. There is one nice scene, I'll give you credit for, for what you're saying about filling the frame, mm -hmm. where they have a whole bunch of, like, fireflies, it looks like, or something uh -huh. like that. That's beautiful to see. That reminds me of the house being filled in snow white with all the little birds and all that garbage. Well, I'll go this far with you. I think that when you're talking about the heroes being 
too much of a clean cut, oh. uh, uncomplicated. It's the same thing that they did in the Man with One Red Shoe, where Tom Hanks is the hero. Right. And he doesn't want to be too silly or too ridiculous because he's got to be the romantic lead. Here, it's a cartoon character, but they do the same thing. Yeah. The, the lead in the cartoon the, the, the is the least interesting character in the cartoon. But on the other hand, the Horn King, with a voice by John Hurt. Yeah. That's a fabulous character. Well, I don't know if it's fabulous. I mean, the, the, the witch in Snow White blows this guy off the map completely. I don't know. I think it'd be a pretty good... Uh, this, is, this is really getting me yeah. fascinating. <laughs> Who's worse, the witch or the Horn King? We could, right. we could talk about this all night. Let's take, though... Another look at the movies we reviewed on this week's program. Finally, with split decision on the Black Cauldron, I voted thumbs up for the Disney animated adventure, but Gene thought the story was too shaky to support the characters, even though, I want to be sure I'm right about this, yes. you like the pig. Lo love the pig, love the...